welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you grab your Bibles, we are starting a new series this morning in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a book that was written 25 centuries ago. That's 2,500 years, which is an amazing thing for it to still be around to begin with. But as we go through this book, I don't want you to forget to be amazed. As, as Nehemiah was, uh, you know, uh, an older man, he journaled what happened to him. And even though it was written 2,500 years ago, it's fresh and alive for us today. And that's by the Holy Spirit, and it will teach us. Because Nehemiah was one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, and I dare say that most of us have probably not, you know, probably have never read the book of Nehemiah. For some reason, as, as Christians, we concentrate on the New Testament, and we hardly ever go back to the Old Testament. But Nehemiah is, is literally a leadership training course. There's profound things in there, and there's practical things for us in regards to any task, any assignment. Any job that you have, any responsibility that you have within your job, within your home, or within your life. This is a book that can relate to every one of us. And I believe that if you listen to God during this series, you will go back to your work environment each week with new tools and new strategies that you can have for getting your job done. No matter the job, no matter if you're in charge if you're, or you're the, the employee, if you're working in the home or out of the home, if you're raising up children, or you're going and, and being underneath a boss every day, because we're all called to leadership in our lives in some way or another. Now, there are some people who have natural leadership abilities. I mean, we look at them and go, they're a leader. You can tell the ones that, you know, on the playground from the very beginning of ages, you can tell the ones that are natural leaders. But most of leadership is taught to us. It's more than just bossing people around. Anybody can boss people around. And we get this record uh, uh, from Nehemiah that he kept, and, and we will learn all kinds of things. Here's just a few that, as I read through it, that I, that I just dot, uh, jotted down as I went. First off, how to pray first before developing the plan. He will teach us how to get results when we pray. Some of us have, have gone along in life, and as we've communicated with God, God has not necessarily communicated back the way we thought he should, so we stop communicating, we stop praying. We don't see any results from our prayer, so therefore we stop. Nehemiah will teach us how to pray for results, and then he will teach us how to lead from our heart, and how to, how to allow that heart to lead us to action, to stop thinking about every little thing, and to start acting on those things, to let, a, to let emotion drive us at certain points when, the, you know, when it's the right time, and when not, to let, or when not to, to let emotion drive us at the wrong times. He will teach us how to rely on God even though we have talent, how to sit back and, and when to jump in. There's a fine line between what God expects us and doesn't expect from us. He will teach us how to rely on God even though we have this advantage of His Holy Spirit in us. 
He would teach us how to, how to you know, the, the, that he's given us this, uh, this, this Holy Spirit to accomplish his task. He will teach us how to plan our work and work our plan. He will teach us how to get the job done quickly. He will teach us, uh, you know, to, to take God-ordained risk and know the difference between a risk that God wants us to take and a risk that's just kind of, you know, you're getting out there, a foolish accomplish, uh, you know, a foolish assumption that, 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 that we want to accomplish something. He will teach us how to set goals and how to get results that are, you know, in less than ideal situations. In other words, those situations that we're sitting there going, I don't know what's going to happen out of this. You know, it's one thing to accomplish things in a great environment, isn't it? When everything's kind of set up for you. It's one thing to accomplish that, but it's another thing when it's raining cats and dogs and you can't see your way and the deadline is right there and you don't feel well. You don't have the tools to get the job done. He will teach us how to get the handle on discouragement in the process. He would teach us how to build other people that are around us to help us in the task and, and how to build them up and not tear them down. To, to build this moral, uh, you know, the, the morale of your team and those that work with you. How to cope with fear, how to cope with depression and anger and other emotions and still getting the job done. He will teach us how to respond to false accusations and still defeat the enemy. I mean, anybody else here been accused of something, you know, wrongly in this past year? Hmm. How do you handle that? I mean, it's one thing when you really did something and, and it puts you on the defensive, but it's completely another when you're accused and you haven't done anything. He will teach us how to accept a, a promotion and praise without it going to our heads. And lastly, how to, how to pass these things on to the next generation. Nehemiah will teach us this and more. It's a complete leadership course that he's left us. We will, talk, you know, we will we'll be challenged to, uh, you know, challenged to ask God, why am I here? Not why am I here on earth? You know, God wants that relationship with us. He, 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 he created us for that relationship. But even beyond that, why am I right here at this time? Why am I in this place? Beyond why am I on this planet? What is it that you want me to accomplish, God? And then he's going to teach us how to accomplish these things. And then to do it with such humility that people around us will praise us and will say, hey, you know, this is God. This is not just me. Honestly, it's God working through me. And in a humble state, we will accomplish so much more because we're not taking the credit. And then when we don't get the credit that we do deserve, we'll brush it off. We won't, we won't even care. We just want God's will to be done in this world. This is what Jesus prayed, isn't it? Let your will be done. Well, let's dive into the first chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. And we're going to come back and, and discuss different things in it. But it says here, The words of Nehemiah, son of uh, Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, while I, was at the, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those 
who survived the exile are, are, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, uh, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your, your Moses service, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter or you if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even in your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive in the prayer of, the, prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah was born and raised in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And, and, you know, we've covered some of the books. We've covered Daniel, we've covered Esther and, and, and different books, and we've talked a little bit about this. But his grandparents were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and, you know, when Jerusalem fell. Let's go back and kind of remember how exactly these guys ended up here, because I think covering the history is important. They are now 700 miles from Jerusalem. Remember King Solomon, King David's son? Solomon was a very talented guy. I mean, he was very wise beyond measure. But he was not a very good king. Solomon loved the ladies. He got himself in trouble because he married, you know, several hundred of them. And he didn't convert them to his religion. Instead, they converted him to, to their religions. So he became this, you know, this, this idolatrous and adulterous king. And in 1 Kings 9, God promised Solomon when he asked for wisdom, he said, listen, if you obey me as king, I will bless you and I will bless all of Israel. That's all you have to do is obey me. So of course Solomon did this, right? No, not at all. So God instead punished them. And in 931 B.C., the 12 tribes of Israel split. Ten tribes went with Rehoboam, and, 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 uh, and uh, well, ten tribes went with Jeroboam, and, and two tribes stayed with Rehoboam, and, and I call them Jerry and Rehoboam. It's just easier to say their names. And they continued to live in this idolatry and immorality, especially the ten tribes up north. So, you know, so as God had warned them, God said what? Ah, no big deal. I was just kidding about that sin thing. I, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm a God of love. And as a God of love, you know, I can't really be a God of justice. I just need to love everybody. You know, God says, invent me to be whatever you want me to be. I'm a touchy-feely type of guy, right? 
And I will not punish sin. Is that who our God is? No. God didn't say, oh, sin is no big, no, no big deal to me. I'll just accept you for the way you are. God's not like that. God judged them and said that, that they would, you know, that they, the, the northern kingdom would, would fall. And in, by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., they did. The northern kingdom literally was assimilated. In other words, they, they, they went into the culture and became just like the culture of the Assyrian Empire. And most of them completely, completely lost their identity. We call them the ten lost tribes of Israel. Even today, they have no idea what happened to these ten tribes. The two southern tribes watch God judge the northern, northern tribes as a direct result from their sin. Now, God was hoping the southern tribe would see this, and they would go, hmm, maybe we shouldn't follow down that path. That's what God was hoping but did they do that? No. God said, I will judge them. And if you continue down this path, you will be judged just like them. You know, this is like the baby of the family. How many of you are the baby of the family? Did you learn from your older brothers and sisters? Now, hopefully we see the head go like this and not like this. It's like the baby of the family not learning. Well, my older brother did this. I shouldn't do this. Because if I do this, I'll be in trouble. Now, now see, for me, it was a little, more di- you know, it was a little different. Because I was the good kid of the family. I, you laugh. No, literally, I, I, I didn't go out and drink. I hung out with my church friends. I, I was the, the, the kid that just didn't get into trouble. The one time, I'm not joking either, the one time I came home late, I was out with my friend Daryl, the one time I came home late, my parents are usually asleep and I always got home on time and they never see me get home on time. My dad would just say, get home on time? And I'd be like, yes, and he'd just, okay. The one time I'm late, my uncle happens to come in town and they were up late talking. And I walked right in and my dad just looked at me and I was like, oh. But you know, the, the babies of the family, they, they had the chance to learn, and this is what did not happen. So in 586 B.C., God sent the Babylonians to punish the two southern tribes. The northern tribes had already assimilated in. They'd already became just like the other nations. The southern tribes started to assimilate into the Babylonian captivity, and only a remnant remained in Israel. Now, do you remember you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In the story of Daniel and the lion's den, they're refusing to bow down to the statue and, and the fiery furnace and all those stories throughout Daniel. Then Daniel becoming the prime minister of, uh, of Babylon, uh, Babylon at that time. And he goes through the, 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 you know, the different, uh, the Medes and the Persians, the different ones that come in uh, to being in charge. Well, this is how they ended up in Babylon, because they disobeyed God. Now, you need to remember that even though these two tribes were taken into the captivity, they kept their Jewish roots. They remained intact because several generations later, they're, you know, they're still identifiable as Jews. People could still look at them and go, they're, they're different. They're, oh, oh, those are the Jews. You could still see that they were still holding all their holidays. They were doing the bar mitzvahs and the, the Yom Kippur and all these different holidays that they would have. So when Babylon is conquered in 539 B.C. by the Medes and Persians, 
the Jews just kind of go along for the ride. And the Persians came in and, and said, well, if you want to go home, uh, we don't have a problem with that, go. You might remember the book of Ezra or, or, or read about Ezra and Zerubbabel. Ezra you know, went home in 536 B.C. to rebuild the temple. And this is also the time as, as we studied the book of Esther and Esther rose to, pro, you know, to prominence within uh, the kingdom of, of the Persians. Risked her, whole, you know, her own life to save her people. Then in 458 B.C., Ezra leads a second group home. Now you've got to remember all these dates because there's going to be a, a pop quiz as you leave the church today. But as they, you know, they find the Jews when they go back, they're in depression. There's just too much work to do. And they're going into to disobedience. And Ezra begins to preach. And through his faithful teaching of the word of God, there's a great revival amongst the people. And it sets the stage for Nehemiah's ministry. Now, are you still with me with all the dates and all the different things? I'm going to say good because I'm going to assume you are with me. It's important for us to cover some of this history, for us to understand and re- be reminded that we're not in this historical vacuum, that the Jews lived amongst the people. They weren't just, oh, a little nation. I mean, they, they were part of the world. And different cultures come in and different cultures go out. And the Jews were there. And God had them there for a reason, just like God has us here for a reason. We are part of the Jewish family. We've been grafted in to God's family. So what I'm saying is God has us here for a reason so the world can see us and say, God is blessing them. Therefore, I want to find out why they believe that and how do I get that blessing. All this relates to our lives 2,500 years later. We build on the foundation of the people that go before us. We should lay a good foundation for those that are coming after us. When we are called to lead, or say your boss comes in and says, I have a problem and you need to solve it. The worst thing that we can do is dive right in. What we really need to do is study what's going on. You need to study the history of of what has been happening. Nehemiah begins his ministry by asking questions. It's very important for us that before we jump in to ask questions, what has happened? What has worked before? What has not worked? What did the guy do before I came in? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? What is the opposition for this? Where's the funding been? Who's going to pay for this? Where do I go and find that funding? All those questions are important anytime you get a job. And we began to look under these, you know, under the stones. I make this point because I think a common mistake is when we're given a task, we don't do our homework. The boss says, go fix it, and what do we do? We jump right in and try to fix it instead of being, being wise and asking questions. How many of you are facing a new challenge here in the year 2012? Two people, three people? Oh, no, lots of, they're all doing this right here. I'm not going to raise my hand. Nehemiah is a book that's going to be for you. If you're facing any type of challenge, Nehemiah is going to be a book that, that you need to, to study and understand. 
Because you have to do your homework. The first question is, what is my homework? Now, before we had Brandon, boy, did I study. I read books. I was buying books. I talked to different people. I avoided the negative people. You know, the ones that, oh, boy, you know, your life sure is going to change having a kid. Really? I didn't realize that when I moved my wife's office. You know, we had to make a room for him. You mean he doesn't wear my clothes? You know, I mean, some things are so obvious. You're like going, okay, yeah, I understand that. But of course, you know, reading doesn't get us completely prepared. It's called on-the-job training. But you still have to do your homework. It's not like I could leave the hospital and go, oh, you mean I need a car seat for him? You mean we need diapers? He doesn't change them himself? Well, what else do we know? We know that he did his homework. We also know that the month is Chislev, and it's pronounced with a C-H there. So we know that this happens around November or December, so it's a little chilly in that area. And, and as you may know, you know, it's, or, or it says here that it's the 20th year of Artaxerxes. So it's 444 B.C. The Persian king is at his winter palace in Susa. Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar also ruled here. You know the Haram, uh, Hammurabi Code? Hammurabi ruled here. He wrote this whole legal code that most of the, well, the Western world is, is kind of based on. Some of you might have learned it from the Scooby-Doo episodes as you grew up. Other people read it in history or learned it in high school. But what else do we know about Nehemiah? He was a Jew. He'd never been to Jerusalem. He lived amongst Persians, yet he stayed true to God. He was a very sharp and very intelligent man, very cultured. He was the cupbearer to the Persian king. Now, it's a bigger job than it seems, we, 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 than it sounds. We, we, we think, it, you know, it's the cupbearer. Oh, you just run around with the cup, and every time the king wants a drink, you know, he's water boy. No, it's much more than that. They become like personal advisors to the king, his confidant, the one he really trusts, his protection. Think of it almost like a secret service type of thing. But also, he had to be very trustworthy. He spoke several different languages. He, he knew di- diplomacy. He understood the art of timing. Have you ever walked in at the wrong time and done something? When you do that, you realize, oh, I know this was not good timing on this one. He understood that art of timing. He had manners. He had a sterling reputation. And he will need every one of these things to accomplish the task that God wants him to do. Which leads me to my next personal question for you. For those of you who said, I'm, you know, I have a difficult year ahead of me. I got six months left in this year. I, you know, it's, it's, I got decisions to make. My question to you is, how has God gifted you? Like Nehemiah, God has gifted you for the task ahead. What tools do you have? The next question is, why has God gifted you? Because everyone has been gifted in a different way. Not everyone is the same. We all have gifts and abilities that God has given us. And to say, why did you give me these gifts, God? That is a very important thing to say. Because we have been given these things for a purpose. 
There's a plan and a place that God wants us to plug into. And a lot of us miss out on this blessing because we refuse to humble ourselves and say to God, I truly give it all to you. I truly give my life over to you. All my abilities, all my strengths, I lay it at your feet. And now show me where you want me to use them. That's why most of us miss out, because we're unwilling to say that. And we're unwilling to follow through on that. I want to encourage you to say those words. Because sometimes we need to dig through the closet and get out our tools again. Sometimes we've kind of put them away. Well, I tried to use them, but I couldn't. Because we were doing it under our own strength. God is saying, dig those things out of the closet. Dust them off. We're like, oh yeah, I used to use these. This was a good thing. Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that one day Nehemiah was in the hallway. He kind of explains kind of the backstory here at the beginning of Nehemiah. And he heard some guys in the palace speaking Hebrew. So he tracks the two guys down, and one of them happens to be literally his brother. And he's like, well, hey, you know, where have you guys been? And they said, well, we were in Jerusalem. Well, tell me about it. And Hananiah tells him that it is terrible. The walls are all broken down. The people are afraid. They're depressed. They're scared. There's no national pride. They're the laughing stock of the town. Oh, who, who are they? Oh, those are those Jews. They're kind of, you know, those idiots. They're trying to rebuild the wall thing. They've been doing it for years. Really? How long? Oh, about 100 years. <laughs> so, I mean, they're literally the laughing stock. And this one day, Nehemiah's life turns on a dime. I think that we need to be open to these things as well. That on a given conversation, we go, wow. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? To allow the Lord to prompt us into action. You know, it was just a normal day when Moses was tending sheep. And he saw the bush on fire and he runs over to the bush because it wasn't burning up. And he was sent by God, sent by the Lord to rescue his people. It was a regular day when David was out tending his sheep. And his brothers came to to get him. And by the end of the night, he was anointed king of Israel. Now, it would take him seven years to become the king. But that night, his life changed. It was a normal day when Peter, James, and John were out fishing. And when they come back in, I mean, it was a terrible night of fishing. And this is when Jesus called them to become fishers of men. This is how it works. We're just going along, and we're being faithful to God, and God in His perfect timing speaks to our hearts. I know you're going to go this way, but I have this plan for you. Are you willing to do that? Imagine Nehemiah's excitement when he runs into these guys. He's never been to Jerusalem. He's only heard stories, and now his brother just got back, and he can first-hand story here. And he starts asking questions. And the answer is they're in trouble. The enemy can take them at any time. And what is Nehemiah's reaction? Well, look at it in verse 4. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Man, this is how he reacted? He sat down and started crying like a big baby. That's how the world would react to it. You know, this is not a normal reaction. 
Most of us would feel bad, and some of us would even get out the checkbook. Well, let me send them some money. Maybe they can rebuild the wall. But his heart was being torn apart because of this. The problem was 700 miles away. He could have just walked away and forgot about it. But it was at his heart. It affects him right now, right here. And he's not afraid to show his emotion. But then he began to do something about the crisis. He grieved, and then he did something. Jesus tells us a story about the Good Samaritans. He says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by, or happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. But it's a, you know, or it says, uh, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, we could spend a whole day right there, but one thing that just struck me was this man, the Samaritan, had a good enough reputation that the, the innkeeper said, you know what, I'll trust you on that. You know, even non-Christians know the phrase, good Samaritan. We even have laws that are, you know, that are, that are nicknamed the Good Samaritan Law. You can go and help somebody and you can't be sued in certain instances just because you were helping. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Someone who helps when they have no reason to. This is what Nehemiah does. He ends up going to Jerusalem, a place that he's never been, and he rebuilds the walls. He does it through his leadership. And they get it done in 52 days, something that they haven't done in over 100 years. 52 days. He is an amazing leader. 150 years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah had said, For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside and ask how you are doing? Nehemiah responded and said, I will. I will do these things. I will personally be the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. And when we do care about people, we get busy. So the first thing he does is he breaks down and he cries. You know, if you want to know somebody's character, just watch what they laugh about or what they cry about, right? You can really tell a lot by a person by these two things. It tells you about their character. Now, the other day I went down and I was getting uh, uh, my oil changed down at the, the, the tire place and they were, you know, looking at my vehicle and all that. But I mean, that has nothing to do with the story, but I was at this place and I was observing this dad as he walks in with this little kid. And I was just thinking, oh man, this ought to be interesting. This little kid was out of control. This little kid, I mean... Uh, 
Well, let me tell you, they, they started playing this game that was there in the, in the lobby area. And as the kid was playing, you know, the kid lost one round of the game. And the dad, and I'm not joking, and he totally meant this. It wasn't like he was just joking around. He goes, <laughs> you lost. And I was just taken aback. I was just like, I can't believe you're treating that kid that way. Now, before I, before I was a dad, I would have felt the same way. But now that I'm a, a dad, I felt even stronger about it. I just couldn't believe it. This dad is, is not a good role model. No wonder why the kid was out of control. I mean, this kid was going around the business, and I'm not joking. The dad walked out to the, where the cars were to talk to the guy, and the kid was left inside. And I'm not joking. This kid wanted a quarter. He walked up to the people next to me and says, do you have a quarter? I want some candy. I was like, wow. So I just kept reading. You know, I had my iPad. I was sitting there reading a book, and he comes over to me, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to ignore him. I'm just going to ignore him. Do you have a quarter? I looked at him and I said, no, I don't. The next thing I know, he goes over to the drawers of the business, like the counter, and starts opening the drawers. So the dad in me comes out. I'm like, hey, 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 stop that. And he immediately looked over and he knew. Apparently I have a good dad voice. I have that look, you know, same look that my dad had. So the kid stopped for a little while. But I couldn't believe this kid is totally out of control. And I can look at the parent and tell why. I won't even describe what shirt the guy had on. But Nehemiah is a role model for us. For when God puts a burden on our hearts, when God puts a burden on our heart, we're not supposed to go and preach about it until we sit for a while and pray about it. Instead, what do we do? We try to get everybody else riled up about this thing that, that, that's on our heart. And God's sitting there going, I, I wanted to talk to you about it first. But instead, you're going around telling everybody else and trying to get them to do something. When we have an emotional pain for somebody else, I think we try to get rid of it by bringing it up to other people. When we should allow God to break you about it first. And then we say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because the psalmist says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes what? In the morning. Joy comes in the morning. That is the way... Nehemiah's story is to us. About chapter 8, they have a great celebration. But right now, it's chapter 1, and Nehemiah is crying. We have to be careful that we don't try to get to chapter 8 too quickly. Because the Bible promises us that the joy comes in the morning, but we can't make the sun come up. We have to hold on to that promise of the hope and the joy. So mourn for the night. And allow the Lord to soften your heart. So Nehemiah begins this process of softening. He begins to fast and pray. And this man, he has access to the king's kitchen. He has access to the best food for a thousand miles around. And he doesn't want to eat. And he takes it to the Lord. My question is, are you taking your burdens to the Lord this morning? What has God put on your heart, and are, have you taken that to Him? Because I say, allow God to soften you during this time, and start asking the right questions. When do you want me to act, Lord? Not now? Okay. You still want to work on me. When do you want me to act, Lord? Not now? Okay, okay. When do you want me to act, Lord? Now? Okay, let's do this. 
And then he gives you the, the abilities. He gives you the direction. He gives you the Holy Spirit to take you to the place that he wants you to be and a place that he wants you to act. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this week, as we set with the book of Nehemiah, as some of us may even read this book this week, that you began to soften our hearts. You began to talk with us. Allow us to, to spend time with you this week, Lord. Prompt us in that. Break us down so that you can build us up like Nehemiah is going to build this wall. That we can follow the example of Nehemiah and not the example of this world. But as we allow you to act into our lives, as we allow you to control our lives, as we give it over to you, you put us in a position that you want us to be for a specific reason and to get something very specific done. Lord, and I pray that we recognize those things before it's too late in our lives that we don't miss the opportunities and the blessing that you've given us to be your hands, to be your feet, to be your eyes, to be your comfort, to be your mercy, to be your strength. That when people see us, they don't see Alan. They see you. That's who we want to be. When people look at us, Lord, we want them to see you. And I pray that that begins with the softening of our hearts. I bless you and I keep you. The Lord says that he will bless you and he keeps you. The Lord says that he will operate in your world. And that's exactly what he did. May his face shine down upon you. May it give you a blessing beyond something that you could ever understand. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.